We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and today we're going to talk a little recruiting. We're going to dive into a few topics, and the primary one is going to – it's mostly going to revolve around the Notre Dame defensive line. We're going to talk about where things stand on the Notre Dame defensive line recruiting, talk about the three commits, how they fit together, kind of evaluate – what the grade is for the defensive end class up to this point in time. And we're going to focus on the defensive end class because Notre Dame doesn't really have a defensive line class yet because they're still working on adding a defensive tackle. Going to dive into the topic of how to properly evaluate recruits and how important a recruit is based on just comments that have been made lately about Notre Dame's latest commitment, Darren Agu, uh, and Aiden Cabrera to a degree, and then just kind of dive into um, just what's next at defensive line recruiting. Go over the board, who's on the board, who's off the board, what's Notre Dame's focus going to be. Kind of go over the three options that Notre Dame really has right now when it comes to recruiting the defensive line, uh, not just for 2022, but also 2023. And then if we have some time and you all have some questions, then we will we will dive into those as well. So to begin, let's, let's go kind of reverse order of what I went over and just talk about sort of what's next at the defensive line recruiting for Notre Dame 2022. I've done a lot of digging on this, try to talk to some sources, and, and here's where I think things are at. Notre Dame had two defensive ends that they were very high on very early in the process. Tyson Ford was one, Aiden Guevara was another. Mike Elson did a great job getting Notre Dame into the mix. We've talked about this when Marcus Freeman came on. That tandem got those two players in the class. The concern I had at the time was they were both kind of big ends, 
and who was the Viper going to be. So I wasn't necessarily in love with the idea of adding DJ Weselak, who I don't view as as good of a player as those other two, at least from an upside standpoint. But then also, those are three sort of big ends. Well, then Aiden Gabera came out and had a very good junior season in the spring, and he showed a guy to be capable of playing both sides, and he could play Viper if you needed him to. Well, then Notre Dame sort of discovers Darren Agu, and over a period of time, they evaluate his film, they do the background, and it all checks out, and they really loved his film. And so they made a move on him, despite the fact you have other players like DJ Wezelak, who's highly ranked. You have Teva Tafiti, who is highly ranked, still on the board and still very interested in Notre Dame. So the staff made the decision to get Darren Agu into the class. You're now three guys left. So now it's kind of about, so what's next at this position? And, and I think that what's next ties into how do you evaluate what is in the class. And so you have to look at that number one from a positional standpoint. And then number two of what kind of impact talent do you think is in the class? And then what are you going to then make numbers exceptions for? Because remember, all of this involved revolves around the fact that you only have 85 scholarships to give out. And those 85 scholarships for any good coaching staff is going to fall within a certain framework per position. And if you're going to go above your number per position, that means you got to come up short somewhere else. So if you're going to go above a number, then you have to do it for a top-level player. And that's kind of what we're going to get into as we evaluate Notre Dame defensive line recruiting. So to begin, here's where here's how where I see things are. See, here's where I see things as being right now based on my opinion plus some things that I've been able to find out talking to different sources. Number one, I do expect Notre Dame to very, very much limit who's on the board now moving forward. I can confidently say that Notre Dame is focusing in on a really just elite ends. There's only one guy that I know for sure is still being recruited as a defensive end, and that's Cyrus Moss. Notre Dame made his top five yesterday. I'm going to show a little bit of film here of Cyrus Moss as I'm as I'm talking. And, and we'll, we'll we'll just kind of dive into what's the latest with him because this is a guy that that if you followed me at all, you know I've been talking to him about him for a while. Uh, this is a, a 2022 defensive end from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, six four six five, two hundred twenty pounds. This is huddle film right here. Uh, extremely athletic player. You see him lining up in the slot here. He's someone who has the athleticism to to, to rush the quarterback. You see him making a great play on the football there in coverage. You know, he's, he's not a guy that's a rover, but he's a guy that as a Viper can be a very effective coverage player. And he's still raw because, again, he hasn't played his junior year, but the athleticism, the tools are really just outstanding. This is all sophomore film, by the way, of Cyrus Moss. Notre Dame made his top five, and that was announced yesterday on Sunday. Made his top five along with Oregon, Florida, Arizona State, and Clemson, I believe are the five that are in his top five. And really where Notre Dame stands with Cyrus Moss is, Clearly, they're in a good position because they're among the final five. They're also in a good position because he has not, I don't believe he's visited Notre Dame yet. And if it has, it was a while ago. I, I don't think he's been on campus yet. And the fact that Notre Dame has been able to make the traction with him that they have, despite that, I think puts them in a good place to where if they can just get him to not commit until he's done his official. So just really push like, hey, man, you, you know, we know that you're not – because he's not committing to Notre Dame if he makes a decision tomorrow, I don't believe. Talked to another source that has recently spoke with Cyrus Moss and, and feels that same way, that, that Notre Dame's a good place, they can close on him, but right now it's it's it, he's, he's pretty open. And Notre Dame's, I wouldn't say, is necessarily his leader. 
I think if I had to pick a team that was leading for him, I would probably go with Oregon. But again, the visits are going to be a big part of that. So when you look at Cyrus Moss, he is a player that that I have been told for well over a month now that no matter who Notre Dame gets at defensive end, he's still on the board. And he's that kind of player that, yes, we've met our numbers needs, but as a coaching staff, we look at it and say, that's the kind of guy you can't say no to. And there's a few guys like that in the 2022 class, especially on defense. And Cyrus Moss certainly fits that category. So I think when you look at that, he is definitely on the board. He is definitely, definitely still in play. Talking to those same sources, I do not believe that uh, DJ Weselak is on the board anymore. I do not believe that Teva Tafiti is on the board anymore. I think the only way that Teva could really get back on the board, and in, in, in my and this is my opinion, this isn't sources. The, the sources that I have is that those two guys are not in the conversation really at this point in time. That could certainly change moving forward based on a couple things, but one of them being if Teva could show some flexibility as a as a linebacker, maybe as a senior. And Notre Dame then comes up short at linebacker. You know, maybe they don't close as well on Jalen Sneed and Junior Tui Alamaka and, and Sebastian Cheeks as we hope that they will uh, and think that they will. Then I think that could maybe change things a little bit for uh, for Teva to be back on the board. But right now, uh, those two players I don't believe are going to continue to be pursued heavily by Notre Dame. So what does that tell us? What that tells us is that Notre Dame did not take. Darren Agu because they thought he was a good depth player. They did not take Darren Agu because they think he's this raw player that maybe someday could be a good player. What it tells us is that they view Devin, Darren Agu and Aiden Gabera, and we know that they're high on Tyson Ford, but they view those two guys as impact talents. Now we get into these terms like project and, and upside and potential and ceilings and floors and all these kind of things, but that's all a part of the evaluation process. But to simplify it as much as possible, what we have to understand is Notre Dame views those players as impact talents. Some impact talents are ready to play as freshmen. We've seen that. Some impact talents aren't ready to play till they're juniors. Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, in his first two seasons at Notre Dame, played a combined, I believe, zero snaps of defense. And his final two seasons was dominant. Now, was he a project? Sure, he was young. He needed time to develop. He battled some injuries as he was as his body was building up, but the talent was always there. That was never a question. And Darren Agu, to me, is that kind of player. Now, you can focus on the three stars. Uh, you can focus on the film. You can focus on the offers. You can do all these types of things. To me, I think the proper way to evaluate this is to have an all-encompassing point of view. I obviously think people should respect my opinion, but I think people should respect a lot of different opinions of people who have actually really looked at him and the coaching staffs is obviously the opinions that should matter most to people. Uh, my opinion should be part of that from just uh, helping you understand the evaluation. But when you look at Darren Agu, for example, what's more important, what's more likely that recruiting services who have been, you know, th their job is, um, I respect their jobs, but their job is, is to have camps and rankings and put articles and get page views and all these kind of things or the coaches whose jobs are on the line when it comes to evaluating players. Now, that does not mean coaches are infallible because, I mean, I, I do that all the time. I criticize coaches for things that they decide to do. But here's what we know, that within a two-day period, Notre Dame, who has basically every starting defensive end that they've had the last four years, is going to be playing in the NFL come September, right? That program, who's been in the playoff two of the last three years and has been in the playoff because of the defense, 
ha- has somehow taken a reach for a kid in April for no reason whatsoever, despite the fact they have DJ Wezilak and Tevin Tafiti very high on the board, and those program those kids have Notre Dame very high, and Alabama offered him a day later. So we're to believe that this is just some three-star kid, some three-star project you can't win with because he's a three-star. Perhaps we might want to say that people who are looking at it for, based on film, myself, uh, the Notre Dame coaches, the Alabama coaches, see something in this kid that's played football. I have now fig- It's come clear to me that he's played actually organized football for one year. Now it's the 2020 season. He's been, he was part of some uh, NFL academy out in Europe, but that's, that's different than being part of a, a high school football program. So this is a kid that Notre Dame looked at and said, this, this, the talent is there. And, and so to me, when you look at the combination of, of film, when you look at the combination of his offer list, who came out after him, and then also look at his rankings, there's one thing that doesn't match the others, and that is the ranking. And to me, that's what we all have to do when we're evaluating players. You don't just necessarily go off the film, especially if it's only highlights. Now, I had a chance to watch two full games of him because I was able to find that. And anytime you can watch full game film, you always want to watch that. But you always have to look at the all-encompassing manner in which you evaluate film and and evaluate a prospect, I should say, with film included, highlights, game film, uh, his offer list, which, again, is not always indicative. So you have to look at and say, well, what schools produce players at that position? So if a kid has an LSU offer and he plays in the secondary, I'm going to look at that a whole lot differently than if a quarterback has an LSU offer. Because let's be honest, LSU hasn't exactly lit the world on fire with quarterbacks they recruited out of high school the last decade. So you have to look at that in a different light. If LSU offers a receiver, that tells me a little something than if LSU offers maybe a tight end. If Notre Dame offers a tight end, that should probably tell us something. At least it did in the past. I I have some questions about what's going on with tight end recruiting right now. Uh, If Notre Dame offers an offensive lineman when here, 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 he stand was here, you you put value into that, then maybe you you would if Notre Dame offered a a safety under previous coaches. And so that's part of evaluating offers. You don't just look at and say, this school offered, that means something or doesn't mean anything. For example, if a Midwestern offensive lineman doesn't have an Iowa and Wisconsin offer, you should probably think twice about that. I would take their evaluations of offensive linemen over what we've seen at Michigan, for example. So that's what it means to evaluate the offer list. And then the depth of the offer list. And then looking at it from the standpoint of, of the rankings as a, another part of that. And especially if there's consistency in the rankings. And then you have to evaluate, well, where do the rankings come from? Are they ranking it based off they just created a profile of a kid who recently got big offers and they haven't really evaluated him? Sometimes that's true. It's not a knock on these guys. I think there's maybe at Rivals in 247, maybe 10 to 12 guys total, maybe, that actually are a part of the rankings process. There's thousands of recruits. It's going to be hard for them to get to all those kids by the time they're juniors in high school, and especially since these people are putting on camps and doing these other types of things. So we have to understand where rankings come from. Not every ranking right now of a junior in high school is based on a deep, thorough evaluation of that prospect. We have to understand that. So when I look at that, that has to factor into this. So when you look at Notre Dame and who they're who they've got in this class, and look at who they've passed on in this in the situation for where they are, you have to start feeling good about where this defensive line class is, and it should help you to feel better about their decision to pass on 
slow down on guys like DJ Wesselak and Teva Tafiti and, and understand that that's why those guys are not part of this class or are not going to be part of this class based on thing where things are right now. So that's where we're at with those three players. You have a pure big end in Tyson, Tyson Ford. You have a swing player, in my opinion, Nathan Gabera, and you have a guy that to me is a, is a pure viper in, in Darren Agu. And you also have great length, six five, six six guys each, incredibly long arms, 230-plus. They're all 230-plus. So there's some great size in this group as well. And then you look at it and say, what's left on the board at defensive end? And Cyrus Moss, I can feel good about saying. There's two other names that I'm I'm – haven't got definitive word back yet if they're going to be on the board. <clears throat> One of them is 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 RJ Cooper. He goes Ernest Cooper, uh, and he is from Texas. He released recently released a top five uh, that had Notre Dame in it, also Stanford. He's an interesting player because when I look at RJ Cooper, I don't see a great end. I don't see a guy that right now has the ceiling. Uh, of a player that should be an end player that you take with the three on board. He's not Cyrus Moss. What I do think about RJ Cooper, which is, which makes recruiting him interesting is I see a lot of Capron Lewis Moore in RJ Cooper. And if you remember when Notre Dame signed Capron Lewis Moore from, from uh, Texas and RJ Cooper is also from Texas cap was like six, four, two twenty five, two thirty was probably around 240 when he reported to Notre Dame in 2000, what was it? Uh, i trying to think, 2008, right? It's part of 2008 class. Well, by the time Cap was done at Notre Dame, he was 306 pounds, and he was still a pretty athletic player for, for that size. He became a, a, an outstanding player at Notre Dame, would have been drafted even higher than he was had he not been injured in the in the national title game. So that's what I see from RJ Cooper. So you think, well, if, they're, if they continue recruiting him, is there a chance that between him – and Tyson Ford, one of them could grow into an interior player. I think there's some merit to that. I don't think that right now Notre Dame's not recruiting like K.J. Miles. There's a lot of defensive tackles that were on the board. They're not really recruiting. Caleb Artis, they're, my understanding is they're still recruiting, but he's not a take right now, which tells me one of two things is true. Maybe two, both things are true. One is they feel really good about where they are with Anthony Lucas right now to the point where they want to see this one out, ride this one out which is incredibly smart. But also you can't just assume you're going to get him. And then if you don't get him, you're stuck without a defensive tackle. And that's where perhaps you could see players like Tyson Ford or, or even RJ Cooper, even more so, because I'd like to see Tyson Ford get a shot at defensive end where you could see maybe an, an RJ Cooper be a guy that you bring in as a big end, but his end is really going to, the DN days are going to be focused more on when you're in a three down look, he's a big end. When you're in a four down look, he's a three technique. That's where I could see RJ Cooper. So that's why, to me, he would can still be on the board for me. I, I haven't got definitive word on that, but I believe he is still on the board for Notre Dame based on the conversations that I've had so far. Uh, no one has definitively said, oh, yeah, absolutely, we're still on him, but no one has also told me that they're not. So I believe right now that, that he is still on the board for Notre Dame. But again, it's a type, it's a type, it's a big guy. So the other day I wrote an article at irishbreakdown.com where I talked about what's next for Notre Dame recruiting and that they have some decisions to make. And it sounds like Notre Dame has sort of made their decision and, and the decision that they've made. So the options were one is just keep adding loading up, right? And it's sort of the bird in the hand philosophy. 
which is, look, you've got three good ends, but you look at players like DJ Wesselak and Tevita Tafiti say, these are also really good football players. So let's take a chance and, you know, let's, let's not take a chance of maybe coming up short next year. Let's just go get the guys that, that we like now. Let's go get the guys that can play now. Uh, and, you know, and say, Hey, look, this is, these are just, we're just going to load up. And then next year, maybe we focus on a guy or two. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is to say, okay, we love where we're at with this group. You like the upside of the end you got last year. You've got players like Isaiah Foskey, who's a red shirt. Jay Jordan Batelho has extra time. Nana Osafa Mensis coming along this spring, which is encouraging to see. Say, hey, look, we don't have to load up this year, even though those are good players. So we're going to focus on the stud players. And then the third option is just moving on completely from 2022 and recruiting and moving on to 2023. I think the combination is 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 sort of the, the option of recruit the elite players. So Cyrus Moss, you, you stay on. Danny Dennis Sutton is one that I'm I'm not sure of either. He is considered a I, I would consider him sort of an elite upside player. I don't know where things stands with stand with him. He may be a guy that you say, yeah, he's got the talent that that we would stay on, but maybe he doesn't have the interest level, and we're gonna spend our time on on guys that maybe are more interested and have elite talent, which would be Cyrus Moss. So I'm curious to see kind of where things stand with Danny Dennis Sutton. I've never felt like that was a legitimate option for Notre Dame. I know that they were on him. There was some interest there, but I just never viewed that as a fit for Notre Dame. So I, I could see them moving on from him as well and just making this sort of a Cyrus Moss or bus deal. And then now what this does for Notre Dame at defensive line recruiting is it allows them to do two things. One is it allows Notre Dame to focus on recruiting the defensive tackle position. And I think that is very important. In order to get Anthony Lucas from out from Arizona, and, and he's got a very impressive offer list, Notre Dame has made his top 10. If I had to project, I'd say Notre Dame's probably in the top four to five of that top 10, so I like where they're at right now. But if you if you decide we're going to go Cyrus Moss or bust, you can now focus a lot more attention on Cyrus Moss, number one, but now you can now focus a lot more of your time on Anthony Lucas, which is important. If you want to get him, he has to be a top priority. And the more ends you recruit, look, there's only so many hours in a day, right? I mean, Mike Elson and Marcus Freeman can only call so many players in a day, especially right in the middle of spring ball. You're going to have June visits coming up. So there's a lot of things that are going to be taking them away from just, you know, what we've seen the last couple months when there was no spring ball, there were no visits. They can just sit on the, on the phone all day and, and, and Zoom calls and texts and chats and all those kind of things. Well, you can't do that as much anymore. So it is that time of the year where you need to start like narrowing your board if you want to still give the top players the attention that they need. And so I think that's where Notre Dame is at right now is let's focus on Cyrus Moss. Let's focus on Anthony Lucas. And just as important is now it allows Notre Dame to focus even more on the 2023 class. And I talked about this last week a little bit, and I, I, I'm amazed at how well Notre Dame is moving in the 2023 class. I've never seen anything like this at Notre Dame. Now, programs like Ohio State and Alabama, they do this all the time. They get really early starts on getting offers out to top players. Now Notre Dame is doing it under the leadership of Mike Elson as the new recruiting coordinator. And I'm very impressed by it. And it's not just volume of offers. It's the type of offers that are going out. It's it's listening to recruits when they talk about Notre Dame. It, it, it used to be where we'd go to these camps, right? And Notre Dame would offer a top kid, but they maybe weren't as heavy involved in them because they're still recruiting the previous class or whatever the case may be. And and you'd listen to these kids do interviews with uh, someone from Alabama or Ohio State or whatever. And one of the things I always like to do is 
instead of just walking up and being part of the scrum and asking about Notre Dame, because if I ask about Notre Dame, kids are going to have nice things to say about Notre Dame, is listen to them talk to other reporters. I'm going to say, well, who are, your, who are your top schools? And who are the schools that are recruiting you the hardest? Or you know, what coaches are, do you have the best connection with? And they go through all these different questions, and Notre Dame never comes up or rarely comes up, or they're like eighth or ninth on the kid's list. And you say, that's a kid that Notre Dame really doesn't have a shot at right now. And you, you have to kind of know how to evaluate and engage that. Well, when I talk to the, the people that I know that are going to these events, that are covering these events, either for us at Irish Breakdown or for SIL American, what they're coming back and saying is like, yeah, Notre Dame's name is constantly being mentioned by these kids, constantly being mentioned by these kids, top kids, like top players, not all of them, but a lot of them. And then you can then dive into, okay, well, specifically, what is it about Notre Dame that you like? And then we talk to these kids and they're like, yeah, I talk to coach you know, Elston all the time or coach Freeman all the time or Coach Kelly, all the, you know, I've been in a Zoom with Coach Kelly. Well, here's the thing. When we're talking about 2023 kids, these are not kids that Notre Dame can just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, call me. They, these are not kids that Mike Elson can get on the text or DM and say, hey, man, call me. Let's talk. These are things where, you know, yeah, they could maybe reach out to a coach and those kind of things, but that can be challenging. For these relationships to be building, these kids have to be reaching out and contacting Notre Dame. And that speaks even more loudly about where Notre Dame is right now when it comes to recruiting the 2023 class. And, and when you look at the film, here's the other part of this. It's one thing to say, we're going to focus on next year's class. But this is a this is a true fact for anyone. That, if any of y'all have been following recruiting for a long time, you're going to know this is true. Not every year is filled with the same number of players at a position. It's not like, well, there's 20 big time backs every year. There's 80, you know, 53 offensive linemen that are four stars. There's you know, there's there's X number of defensive ends in every class. That's not true. Some years, it's a great year at a position. Other years, it's not. For example, 2022, it's not a great year quarterback in regards to there being a lot of elite quarterbacks. There's a lot of good quarterbacks. But then you look ahead to 2023, and there's four or five kids in that class that I believe are going to be better than anybody in the 2022 class. And it will go like that sometimes. The, the 2021 class that Tyler Buckner was a part of, was a great quarterback class, in my opinion. A lot of depth in that class. A lot of top 100 caliber players in that class. And so you have to also evaluate what is next year's class like? What kind of depth is there? And here's why that matters. If it's a if it's not a deep year, then even though you're on kids, it's especially kids from the Southeast and the Southwest, which is where Notre Dame's putting a lot of emphasis right now. If it's not a deep year, then what's going to happen is, is all the schools are fighting for the same players. If it's a deep year, then you know they can, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State can't take all of them. There's going to be some guys out there that we can really get in on and say, hey, we're going to be able to get this kid that maybe otherwise we might not have got that caliber player because it was a deep year. An example is 2020. One thing that helped Notre Dame when it came to recruiting running backs was with Chris Tyree was the fact that it was a great year. Now they still beat out Alabama and Oklahoma, but there were a lot of kids in that class that were getting recruited by other schools. So schools didn't have to, if, you know, with Chris Tyree, they didn't have to maybe focus as much on Chris Tyree because there were so many good backs if they were fourth or fifth on his list. And so Notre Dame stayed in it and that really helped them rise up. One of the positives that I see it for Notre Dame is it does seem to be a very deep year when it comes to defensive end recruiting. I don't know about defensive tackle yet. That's still evolving. But when it comes to defensive end recruiting, it is a deep year, which is going to benefit Notre Dame. So I think that's going to add to the fact that, say, let's not load up this year 
let's take the number that we needed, which was three. You have three different types of ends, even though they have similar bodies. Skill set wise, they're different. And let's focus on now high upside and then maybe load up next year, which then creates some some space, better spacing. So maybe you take three ends next year, where if you take another guy this year, you can only take two. If you have to limit the number of ends you can take next year because you get Cyrus Moss, cool, no problem. You have to do that because you take DJ Weselak or Teva Tafiti. I don't like that strategy as much. So it sounds like this is what's what Notre Dame is doing, and I think that's a positive. So to wrap up the defensive line portion of this, excellent three-man class. I really believe we talked about it last week. I'm not going to dive into it again unless you want to, unless you all have questions about it. We can dive into it more. This has a chance to be one of the two or three best defensive end groups that Notre Dame has landed. And I'll be surprised if it's not at least number two when it's all said and done. Being number one is going to be hard. Being better than a class that had Stefan Tuitt, Aaron Lynch, and Eshaq Williams is going to be difficult when you when you look at it from a recruiting standpoint or even from what they became standpoint. But it's a really, really strong class. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I love where they're at. I'm comfortable with Notre Dame deciding it appears to be backing off certain players who are highly ranked guys. ESPN just put DJ Weselak in their top 100. Uh, Teva Tafiti is a consensus, I believe, top 250 player. These are good football players. And Notre Dame is saying, hey, we like where we're at. And so they're they're going to they're gonna move on from there. And that's where I see things standing right now when it comes to defensive line recruiting. If you want further questions about it, if you want to dive specifically into where things stand with certain players, feel free to ask. We'll, we'll get into that. But uh, let's, let's get into some questions. And then we're going to start off with a question from Dylan Hoffman. Uh, that is going to be about the defensive line. So let's let's get things started here. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So Dylan asks, my thought hope is that it's going to be Cyrus Moss or Bust now uh, now at this point for DNs. If that were to happen, do you think Gabera would see more strong side in with Ford and have Moss a goo at Viper? I would say so, yeah. If if they got Cyrus Moss, I, I, I absolutely see this being a scenario in which you have you have 
Gobert would, would get more work at the strong side position eventually. But I, I still think that they're early on, especially when they're freshmen, if they're in early enrollees, I still think there's an opportunity for you as a staff to say, let's, let's see what Aiden can do as a Viper as he works on building up his body. That's kind of based on where he's right now. I mean, he's still only 230 pounds and he's put on a lot of weight, but 230 pounds is not what you want to see for a strong side end. Now he's a junior in high school. Let's see where he's at a year from now. Let's see where he's at. If he's at 250 plus, then I'll feel better about it. He's not where Riley Mills was at this point in time. He's not necessarily where you know, he's more of a Isaiah Foskey body type right now. So he, to be a strong side end, he would need time. So do you start him off at Viper early on and just see who's most comfortable there? Because I think Darren Agu is a guy that has a big body that could also maybe eventually grow into a, a, a three technique. There are also some things that maybe you could do at Cyrus Moss where he could be a situational pass rusher early. He could maybe get some some work as a linebacker in a 3-3-5. He may be more of a Viper in a three-down look. But in a four-down look, you, you know, he's he's not who, – who, there's so many different things that could go on with this. So, I, I mean, it, it would from a depth chart standpoint, sure, that would make the easiest, the most sense, Dylan. But I still think that – you don't have to necessarily go two and two the first day of camp. You let them play a position maybe that better suits their body, see who fits, see who's comfortable, and then start moving guys around. It, same thing with like Tyson Ford. Even if he's up to 275, 280 by the time he enrolls in Notre Dame, I'd still like to see him get a shot at power end, a big end. I'd still like to see it. See how he moves. See if he can handle rushing the quarterback off the edge. And if he stays around 260, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> I like this. This is good. Yeah, Moss and Lucas 2022. I'm with you, Brandon. That, that would be that would be quite a finish. I mean, it, but seriously, can we can we name a better Notre Dame defensive line class under Brian Kelly? Whole class, tackles and ends, if they get Cyrus Moss, Moss and Anthony Lucas. I, I think you'd be hard pressed to to top that. Uh, you guys let me know what you think. I know the 2011 class was elite at defensive end, but who were the who were the tackles in that class? It wasn't like Brad Carrico, Tony Springman right? They didn't get any top tackles in that class. And again, they were a three down team. So it was a little bit different, but that that's kind of where I'm at with this is, is to say as a whole class, I don't know if their Notre Dame has a better class than this. Like the 2016 class that gave you Khalid Kareem, Julian Aguara, Dalen Hayes, and, and Adi Takumba Ogundiji and Jameer Jones. That was a great DN class right now. That DN class is probably ahead of the current class as juniors from where they are for what those guys were when their recruiting process was done. But these guys are just juniors. If you go back and look to where these guys were as, as juniors, I'd say that, you know, there's, there's a case to be made that, that they're as good, but obviously that group had more players, but that class didn't sign a single defensive tackle. The 2016, they did not sign a single defensive tackle, just like 2015. They didn't sign a single end. Well, they signed Bo Wallace, but he ended up not being able to come to come to school. So I, it would be hard for me to find a better whole class, ends and tackles, if Notre Dame signs Moss and Lucas. And isn't that where we should be with if you're looking at Notre Dame, right? You're year 12. You, you, you've been, you been, know, especially for Mike Elson, he's been here a while. He's established himself as a really good coach and a really good recruiter. You've been in the in the playoff two of the last three years. Like, this is what coaches should be doing. They're saying, look, we're going to ride this recent success we've had from a development standpoint, from an on-field standpoint, and we're going to turn it into better recruiting. That, that's exactly what Mike Elson is doing, and he's off to a great start. And it, the great start now allows him to focus on the two guys that you mentioned, Brandon, 
And if you don't get the great start and you're still trying to add Gobert to the class or add Ford to the class or add Agu to the class, and now you're having to recruit nine, 10 guys as hard as you're recruiting two or three, it, it makes it challenging. So the great start is what could lead to the great finish. And, and I really like where they're at. Dylan fall, follows up with um, not a D-line questions per se, but uh, not directed, dire- not re- directly related to recruiting, but can you talk about the D-line and what techs, what guys would be playing this year? What kind of personnel do you think would be in the four-man versus three-man front? Dylan, are you referring to how the recruiting the recruits in the class would fit into the current defense? Or are you asking me about the current players on the current roster? So if you could follow up on that, Dylan, I'd appreciate that. And, and I'll, I'll answer your question. Dylan also asks, Dylan, you're, all these questions, I love it. Thank you. Does Jair Brown have an official visit lined up at Notre Dame? If so, when? He does not, according to the conversations we had this, this weekend with him. He was supposed to visit Notre Dame last weekend, but he had a family tragedy. Uh, Dylan's father passed away. And so right now, I think coaches are understandably focused on making sure he's okay and that they're showing support for him as opposed to trying to push for a visit. So I, I don't know if we're going to hear anything about visits for him for a little bit because of that family tragedy. And if, and if you're someone who is, is a praying person like I am, uh, certainly Jair is going through stuff that has way more to do with life than it does with football. So keep him in your, your thoughts and prayers. Brandon asks, there, is our, there are an abundance of top talent defensive end for 2023 that Notre Dame is in the mix with. Who are the top of the board gap closing prospects Notre Dame needs to recruit heavily? You know, it's a little early for that. I think there's a few guys that stand out. Obviously, Vic Burley from Georgia is one that stands out to me. He is a he is an impact player. Let's I'm gonna pull this up here while we're while we're talking, Brandon, and just go over Notre Dame's offer list in 2023 so people can get a look at these names. Uh, if you don't know this, we actually have offer lists on the site at ourbreakdown.com. So if you're curious who Notre Dame has offered, uh, we actually have this broken down. I'm going to zoom into it so it's a little bit easier to see here for you because it uh, it can on these especially if you're not on a computer it can get a little bit challenging to see these so let's go down to their defensive line recruiting here um, all right so let's add this here Brandon I'm going to pull this up and make this take over the whole screen all right okay so this is Notre Dame's these are offers for Notre Dame in the 2023 class so you can see here. This list of names that we do not need to see that little picture of me up there. So is there a way for me to X out of that? That is not what we want to see. Let's get that out of there. guess it's not going away. All right. So uh, Vic Burley is a top 100 player. He is a highly ranked guy that would certainly be someone. Um, Lebius Overton is considered one of the, a five-star player, five-star recruit. He is a guy that is in that conversation uh, when it comes to would be a needle mover for me as far as someone who's a legitimate target. Now I would say Notre Dame is way, way further down his list. He was a guy that when he was asked about Notre Dame, he would talk glowingly about Notre Dame. But according to people that were at the, the Atlanta Under Armour camp, he had to be asked about Notre Dame really to talk about Notre Dame. And as I've said, that's usually a sign. If you look here, Samuel Mpemba, he is from Missouri, but he is transferring to IMG Academy. He is an elite athlete that I would view as someone who could who can fit into that category of just his overall athleticism and raw talent gets him into that conversation. Shandavian Bradley is an interesting player. And if you have not watched his film, do so. 
Now, he's not super highly ranked right now, I don't believe. Uh, I'm going to pull him up here real quick on 247 Sports. I don't believe he's like considered a top, you know, a top 50 player right now. But if you haven't watched his film, it's impressive. He's ranked 125th overall by 247 Sports, which is a good ranking. But his first step in explosiveness is about as good as anyone I've seen in, in, in either of the last two classes. Now, he's undersized at 205. But you want to talk about you know SEC speed, that's a kid from Missouri that has it. And that's a state that Notre Dame is making more and more of, an, of inroads in. We've talked about Kyron Williams, Jordan Johnson, Gabriel Rubio in last year's class. Now you have Tyson Ford. Uh, DJ Weselak was very interested, so uh, I really like him. Brennan Vernon's a, a highly ranked player. I saw him this weekend at the Under Armour. He's got some tools. I don't know if he's going to stay at end. He may have to grow into a three technique. And the reality is, is he's from Mentor, which is, means he's uh, an Ohio State kid. As long as Ohio State wants him, he is that guy. Now, Keon Keeley is a player uh, right here. He's a player that Notre Dame is in a good position with. I think he is a very high-ceiling guy. I don't know where his ranking is right now. He has the tools to be a gap closer. I just need to see his body fill out a little bit uh, over these next couple months. So that's another guy that, for me, is on my list. David Hicks is a recent offer from Texas that's considered a highly ranked player. I have not watched his film yet. I, it's a very new offer. I don't know where he is. Jaden Wayne is a is a really athletic kid that, that I would say keep an eye on. God, look, th the fact is this list shows, I mean, these are not – these are not – good solid players even Keon Keeley who's a guy that I need to see him develop and, and still continue to grow and emerge as a prospect to someone that I view as like but we're talking about like an Aiden Gabera type of ceiling like this kid has a lot of tools I just need to see him fill out because he's a sophomore but but could he end up being there yeah Notre Dame's in a good place there so I like where they're at and now that now that visits are opening up I'm curious to see how many of those kids are able to get up to Notre Dame this summer on an unofficial basis obviously since they're 2023 it's all unofficial so I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing how how that emerges Let's see we have some more questions um Dylan asks what stood out to you at the Under Armour camp yesterday? I heard Hensman Hinsman impressed. Yes, hopefully you heard that by reading the article that I wrote today at irishbreakdown.com where I talked about him. Very athletic player. So <clears throat> it's really hard to say who impressed um, when you talk about the fact that, I mean, some of these guys were took two reps and one-on-ones. I, I, I mean – it, it's hard for me to say this guy was really impressive when you when you don't see him in one on ones and it's I don't love offensive linemen at camps anyway because I don't have pads on, but then you see him and they only like Carson Hensman only took two reps in one on ones, so where I was able to evaluate him is just a lot of the individual work he did. I was I was I knew his vertical speed was good, I knew his burst was good. What I liked about him at the camp yesterday was his lateral quickness really impressed me going through drills. And the other thing that stood out is. He's from the Liam Eikenberg, Robert Hainsey school of linemen in, in from a body standpoint in that he's not like he's not fat at all. Like there's like hardly any any thing around his waist that would make you think that he's an offensive lineman if you just saw his gut. I mean, he, he's a really well put together kid, big head, broad shoulders, big hands, you know, big, thick, lower, lower body. But it's more muscular than it than anything. He's a really well put together kid. And if he is already 280, which is what he's listed as, there's an there's a 15 to 20 pounds at least that this kid can add in in really good weight 
and and you don't have to worry about his conditioning and his explosiveness and all those kind of things. So he impressed me in those regards much more than anything we saw in one on ones because we started we saw hardly saw him do anything in the one on ones. But he he was he was a guy that stood out to me. Twenty twenty three cornerback Dante Moore was really good to me. I thought Gavin Wimsett was good. Who was a kid that Notre Dame was looking at? Who's going to Rutgers now? He he looked good to me. I felt kind of old because Chad Pennington has a quarterback there, uh, son there. I, I didn't get a chance to look at him because he's a twenty two kid, I believe. Notre Dame already has their twenty two quarterback, but you know it's just kind of stood out to me is how old I'm feeling when these guys are having having kids there at, at these camps, but. Uh, Jaden Mangum, you know, good bouncy athletic kid, but he played receiver, so I didn't get a chance to see him a ton. Devin Jackson was there. Um, what stood out to me with him is he is an elite athlete, but his comfort level playing football is not great. Uh, he was not good in coverage, in my opinion, yesterday. Uh, there was a play, for, for example, where he ends up making a pass breakup, but he was beat by five, six yards. He just so fast he could he could recover. Well, that's fine at a seven-on-seven camp when a quarterback throws late and it's a one-on-one. That's not going to work as well when you're playing Clemson and Alabama. So I I still have some concerns. One thing that stood out in that conversation with him, Eric Rudder and I both talked to him, and I don't want to get too much into that because we're going to have Eric on uh, this week to talk about the Under Armour camp, but he said that Notre Dame is recruiting him to play Rover, which I found very interesting. Um, And and there were some other things he had to say that just were interesting to say the least, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was, that was interesting. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. Uh, Jeff Bowden, uh, we love your content coach. Keep it coming. I appreciate that very much. And we definitely will, uh, let's see some, uh, Joe asks, what about the receiver from Servite? I believe you were talking about, uh, McMillan doesn't sound like Notre Dame's really in the mix with that one. Uh, they are going to get a, supposed to get an official visit from C.J. Williams from modern day at the start of the of the process, and I think that they're still pushing for Tobias Merriweather, but I don't think McMillan, as of right now, um, is really um, is really a guy that I look at and and say they're 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 going to be a player there. Dylan asks about uh, what are your thoughts on Emeka Megwa? I've uh, watched his tape this morning. A lot of home run plays, good vision and cuts. I think he has good vision and good cuts. I, I think he's a huge back. I think he's a guy that could potentially play linebacker, but I don't. I see him as a step below the the big three and Quinshawn Judkins for me. Uh, I I don't know how well he fits Notre Dame's system either, but he's a good back. I mean, he's a four star caliber back to me. I just I don't see the production. I don't see the necessarily necessarily the 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 overall running back feel that I look for that just comes so naturally to some of those other backs. So he's not a guy that I necessarily um, w- w- would say is, is someone I would take right now. I honestly probably wouldn't take him right now unless you felt he could play another position, but then I, I wouldn't know what that would be because you're, you're in such a good position at linebacker. Uh, Jordan uh, Berez asks, uh, do you think we only take two inside guys if we don't get Lucas uh, get Lucas or do you think that they take the right guy like RJ who may finally who may have some positional flexibility I could see a scenario in which they maybe take one pure inside guy it, maybe they then push for Caleb Artis or Donovan Heinish and then maybe a a, a a guy like Cooper I could see something like that I, I think right now they're just pushing forward to get Lucas and then see what happens if they don't but I do think they're giving themselves uh they're they're giving themselves some wiggle room and so if they strike out they're not just putting all their eggs in the 
Anthony Lucas basket, which is smart. He needs to get like 95% of your attention, but if you, you need another D tackle. So I think that, that keeping some other guys, at least on the board for now, would be smart, whether that's Caleb Artis, whether that's Donovan Heinrich. I like Caleb Artis a lot. It's just you're in a situation where the numbers are tight, a defensive tackle, and you're also in a situation where you really need to focus on Anthony Lucas, and that's where your your attention needs to be. Rob Wicks asks, chances of Tyler Morris and Notre Dame? There's still some work to be done there with Tyler Morris. I think Notre Dame has put itself in a much better position, a much better position than they were a couple months ago. When I first started talking about receivers in 2022, I started talking about dream classes and different things like that. I barely, rarely mentioned Tyler Morris, and I was asked by someone connected at Nazareth Academy why that was. And I said, because everything I've ever been told is that he's going to go to Michigan. You know, His former teammate is J.J. Uh, McCarthy, who was a five-star quarterback last year, went to IMG when uh, Illinois can't. Actually, he might have transferred to IMG before the whole pandemic situation, but he definitely would have then. But he played last year in Florida, and Tyler didn't get a chance to play because Illinois didn't have fall football. They canceled fall football. So I was, he told me in that conversation that, that, that Tyler likes Notre Dame and there's a lot of interest in Notre Dame. I, I think that Notre Dame in the last month or so has made a charge. We had someone talking to Tyler. This was at a seven on seven event, maybe in February, March. Uh, I believe it might've been February. I'm, don't, don't hold me to that. And we asked him about where things stood with Notre Dame. And, and he's like, he liked Coach Reese and, and all those kind of things. But the fact is, is he hadn't heard much from, from Coach Alexander. And it was obvious that Notre Dame was behind other schools. So that combined with hearing that he was a Michigan lock, just didn't waste a lot of time talking about him. In the last three to four weeks, I don't know if it's Dell Alexander's more involved, but I definitely know that Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese have become more involved with him. I'll have to try and find out if Coach Alexander is, but Tommy Reese especially is has really ramped it up, and Notre Dame is in a much better position now. They still have to close, but he's a guy that I would add to the list of a, a, a top-ish prospect that has a chance. And when I say top-ish, he is not an elite prospect to me. I know he's a top-100 recruit, but he to me, what I view him as is, is he's not Will Fuller, he's TJ Jones. And, and there's a lot of similarities between his game and body to TJ Jones. And so my comp is is very, I mean, that would be my comp. That's the best comp I can come up with. I don't I've thought about other comps, but I mean his body's similar to TJ, although he's a little thicker than TJ was as a high school junior. He's he's not quite as sudden as TJ was, but it's close. I would argue his speed is very similar to TJ Jones. He's a little bit longer, I think, than TJ was, a little stronger at the same age. But overall, their games are very similar. And, you know, he's the kind of guy that could maybe come in as a, you know, first couple years and be a nice, good rotation player. But then as he continues to develop his game, he eventually becomes a, a, a difference maker for you, which is what TJ Jones was in 2013. TJ Jones, his first three years, is just a solid, nice player. And then in 2013, he had a chance to break out, and he did. So that's the kind of that's the kind of player that I that I think that that Tyler Morris is, and and that is pretty good. I mean, that's the kind of guy you want. My thing with Tyler Morris is getting him if they're able to close and finish. Number one would be a big feather in Tommy Reese's cap for being able to kind of overcome the the rough start at that position and still get him. But the reality is, is he's got to be your number two in this class. He can't be your number one. My other concern is that if do you take him and still take. Xavion Bradshaw. I think they should. I don't know if they will. That's concerning for me as well. So 
from from a couple different people I've talked to, it sounds like it's an either or scenario. And I think they they view Tyler as the the more likely player to pick them. I'm hoping that that doesn't mean that they stop recruiting Xavion Bradshaw because I would take both of them in this class. In in my opinion, I really would. So it, it's it it raises some very interesting um, scenarios for sure when it comes to uh, re- recruiting wide receiver. It's 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 looking a little better because I think they are in better position with Tyler Morris that you're not going to get shut out. But I do think that I'm still a, a little concerned about the position. John Klimek asks. I need to see Freeman's defense play. What are the tackles used to do primarily? Are they used to attack gaps or are they asked to eat up linemen and free up the linebacker? So what I would encourage you to do, John, and I'll ask this again now, but I can't give you the depth of answer that I have done before. If you go to our YouTube channel, there's a podcast that we did, and you can also just search in Google and you'll get the the actual article I wrote at irishbreakdown.com, which also has the video in it. But I did a video breaking down Marcus Freeman's defense, and one of the things we talked about was how he uses his defensive linemen. So I would encourage you to, to look at that. That's going to give you more you know, X's and O's. It's going to have film and lineups and things like that. But just generally speaking, it's a much more aggressive defense. And, and Brian Kelly talked about this. I'm going to have an article about this where I, I talk about what Coach Kelly said, and then I'm going to try to point it out with some examples from film. You know, He had said that – you know. This defense is going to be a much more, uh, he talked about movement and what he's referring to is post-snap movement. This isn't a situation where, you know, Kurt Heinisch may line up at the nose, but he's not just going to come off and hit the center in the mouth and try to occupy a double team the whole play like, you know, other teams have done and like Notre Dame used to do. Not so much under Clark Lee, but more so under Bob Diaco and to a degree, a a big degree under Brian Van Gorder as well. Excuse me. It's a defense where, they're going to be asked to penetrate. And the, the 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 philosophy behind that is, at the snap, who's the closest people to the ball? It's, it's the linemen. They have the shortest path to the football. So if you use them to attack, number one, they're closer to the ball. And, and then here's the other part. If you have an offensive lineman who's, who's blocking, okay, and I'm here just taking on a double team, if we're working a double team and we're staying square because you're just trying to eat up space – if we're a well-coached team, a, a linebacker comes here, it's easier for me to stay square and then step off and take that other that other guy. When you're in a situation where you're attacking more, as soon as you get that offensive lineman to turn his hips because you've beat him in the gap, it's almost impossible unless he's a Quentin Nelson type to then turn his hips back and take over a twist or a stunting linebacker. So the 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 way that you can also impact the linebackers is to be more aggressive shooting your linemen into the backfield, which then starts to force teams to have to turn their hips to work double teams or to pick up blockers. So you've reset the line of scrimmage in your favor, but you've now also made it a lot easier for your linebackers to attack downhill. And they're always going to have a fourth guy inserting into the line, almost always. In the three, in the, even when he's in the three-three, one of the linebackers is going to insert, whether it's off the edge, whether it's inside somebody's going to insert. So it's not, again, it's never going to be a three down, even when they're a three down, they're going to attack somewhere, somehow with a fourth guy. And so it is an aggressive attacking defense that's meant to penetrate. So I wouldn't necessarily attack gaps is, is a way to put it certainly. But to me, it's just an overall philosophy of penetration because they want to get to the ball. It's when I, and the reason I say, when I think attack a gap, I view that as I'm attacking a gap to open up another gap for someone else. 
when I think of the word penetration, I think it's more of a playmaking type of, of word for me and how I taught it and how I view it. So that's why just for me personally, that, that would, um, that would make it, um, is why I would say it is a better way to describe that. Connor, Pat, that's a great question. It seems Notre Dame is lucky to have Coach Elson. Do we have to worry about losing him anytime soon? I think if the right school offered Mike Elson a, a, a head coaching job, <clears throat> he'd consider leaving because I think ultimately any competitor, any any guy like Mike Elson who's who's confident in his knowledge and his ability to run things w- would want to be a head coach someday. But where Notre Dame is fortunate is, and we've talked about this in the past, and it it bears repeating that Mike Elson's decision to stay at Notre Dame for as long as he has, now going into his 12th year, he's the only original staff member left of Brian Kelly's first staff, is because he, A, loves Notre Dame, and B, because he puts he puts as much of a premium, if not more, on being on the needs of his family as any coach I've ever met. And what I mean by that is if you know anything about Coach Elson, he has kids that are at an age now where uh, for the last five years, really, where uprooting them would have been a rough experience. They were at that age where it would have been tough. His family, as far as I know, loves it in South Bend. His kids have grown up here. I mean, he's been here 12 years. His kids were really little when he first got here. And he's put such an emphasis on making sure that if he's going to leave, it's going to be a great opportunity for him that it would be worth that. It, he is, I, I can say confidently that there, there have been opportunities for him to get advancement and to probably make more money leaving, but it wasn't worth the other parts of it. And and there aren't a lot of coaches like that. And it's one of the reasons I really respect Mike Elston a lot because of, because of that. So yeah, Notre Dame is fortunate that he's that way. Cause otherwise I think he probably would have been gone at a couple different times. If he was like a lot of other coaches were, uh, and like I was as a coach, but I wasn't married. So that that's my excuse back then. All right. Here's the question from Brandon. Uh, do we do you still recruit Mpemba uh, as weak side end with DN being so loaded in 23? He recently said Indy is actually recruiting him both ways right now, I believe. So, honestly, Brandon, I recruit him just as a football player. Uh, I mean, seriously, you can figure all that stuff out later. I mean, there's a chance maybe he could even be a linebacker if he if he if he doesn't fill out too much and he's able to stay like athletic and those kind of things, he could be a linebacker. Um, who knows? I mean, he's just the kind of kid that you just recruit and you figure out the position later. He he's that athletic. He's that good. So I, I don't think that, um, I don't think there's a big emphasis on necessarily figuring that out right now, but, uh, he could certainly be part of another three man defensive end class next year. Welcome to the show. Uh, D rock Irish. Appreciate you being here. Um, all right, B. Straw got in late. Just got in here, so you may have answered already. But who is the main competition to get Cyrus Moss? So yesterday, this since we're doing the show on Monday, he released a list of his top five on on Sunday, and that top five included, of course, Notre Dame, included a list of Notre Dame, Florida, Clemson, Arizona State, and Oregon. Right now, I would view Oregon as the biggest competition. Clemson has done a great job recruiting the West Coast the last couple of years. So I think Clemson certainly deserves to be in consideration there. Florida was interesting. I don't know if he's been there or not, like Notre Dame, but that's an interesting one. I wouldn't be quite as concerned about Florida if I was Notre Dame uh, as I would be Oregon and, and Clemson right now. And and Arizona State's an interesting one because with Coach Edwards there and he's got some NFL players there, there's a lot of, a lot of kids considering Arizona State. Uh, junior to Alamaca 
has Notre Dame has Arizona State in his top five. I just don't know if Arizona State's in the position right now to beat Notre Dame and Arizona State for kids. Um, I don't know if they've necessarily proven that they can produce those players yet, or if their program has the prestige where kids that kids that want to win are necessarily looking at Arizona State. But if if they, I'll tell you this right now. If Coach Edwards can go out and put out a 10-win season here soon, his recruiting is going to take off because he's an incredibly likable person. Uh, he's the kind of guy that he, he could probably go into a parent's room and like within five minutes you're just like, yeah, I trust this guy with my kid. Uh, I've been around, been fortunate to be around him in a couple, several times at the the um, the Under Armour All American Game, and he's just got one of those infectious personalities where you just enjoy being around him, even if you're not, he's not talking to you. You just like being around him because he's very knowledgeable. He's full of energy, um, and, and he he really he really attracts people. So um, I, I really like what he's doing there. But he's going to need to have that big winning season that kind of shows it. Like Brian Kelly had in 2012 that says, hey, yeah, you can come here. And not only am I going to take care of you and teach you the game, but we're going to win too. Brian Denbo. We always are. We are always talking about Notre Dame getting over the hump with Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. What does Notre Dame need to do while recruiting to get over that hump? I think recruiting wise, Brian, I think the things that they need to focus on are continue to to be strong in the areas where you are supposed to be strong. They have to keep recruiting offensive line at an elite level. This twenty twenty two class is vitally important to doing that. They have to continue to recruit tight end well, which is makes some of the last couple of decisions at tight end that they've made a, a little concerning for me. You have to continue recruiting the defensive line well and, and improve. You always look to improve. You don't ever settle. I don't think you ever say, well, yeah, we're at a nice place. We found a groove. Let's just stay there. You should always be looking to get better, and, and I think that's where Notre Dame uh, is putting in the work right now. But you also have to figure out what are the areas where we're falling behind. From a recruiting standpoint, some of those have been addressed. Running back has been improved tremendously the last couple of years. Started with Chris Tyree. He had a very strong class in 21 with Logan Diggs and, and Audric Estime. You're off to a really good start with, with Jadarian Price. This is about as good of a three-year stretch of, of running back recruiting as we've seen, probably going back to, to 2006 to 2009. When in, in 2006, I believe I have this correct, 2006 they signed James Aldridge. 2000, who's a top 100 back, five-star, I believe, by at least one service. You had Robert Hughes and Armando Allen in 2007. They were both top 100 backs. 2008, you had Jonas Gray. I believe he was a top 100 back. And then 2009, you had Sear Wood, who was a top 100 back. 100, not top 100 back, I'm sorry, top 100 player. You had Sear Wood, and then you had Theo Riddick, who was a top 250 player. That was a pretty good stretch of football, and that was a combination of Bernie, Bernie Parmalee and Tony Alford. You're getting back to that, and maybe not the top 100 players, but I, I, these are good football players, and I really like what they're doing there, so that's been good. Receiver recruiting has been pretty good, but needs to be even better. Cornerback recruiting and safety recruiting needs to improve a lot. Linebacker recruiting needs to be upgraded, which makes this 2022 class uh, better. So what you need to do, Brian, to answer your question is you need to narrow your own um, margin for error. And, and what I mean by that is Notre Dame has had elite players the last couple of years. They had elite players in 2018. They had elite players this year. When Notre Dame played Alabama, to me, if you're looking at the five best players in the field, Notre Dame had two of them, in my opinion, for sure. If you expand it to seven or eight, you could maybe go 50-50 when you just talk about, look, Kyle Hamilton is, in my opinion, as good as anybody talent-wise that Alabama has, and, and I think we're going to see that in the NFL draft. Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa is an elite player. 
No question about it. Um, he's in that conversation. Lee Meikenberg's a, a borderline first-round player. Uh, Michael Mayer was as good as any freshman that Alabama had. So Kyron Williams was uh, – so Notre Dame had those top players, but where Notre Dame is still behind those other teams is that kind of player at specific positions, quarterback, corner, uh, interior defensive line. Notre Dame's been really good at the interior defensive line, but there's a big difference between Myron Tungvalo and Kurt Heinisch and Christian Barmore. And so you say, okay, well, that's where you hope Gabriel Rubio develops. And that's why you need an Anthony Lucas, right? That's why he's so important. Corner recruiting. So the more top-level players you have, the more unlikely it is that you struggle as a unit. Because every game you're going to have, this guy didn't have a great game, but this guy stepped up and played well. This player didn't have this good game, but this guy did. If Kyle Hamilton or Jeremiah Wusu played a bad game, it, the Notre Dame defense was going to struggle because there just wasn't enough of the elite players all around to overcome that. It's especially true on offense. So I think those are the things, Brian, you need to do is you need to continue to expand your top-level talent at those positions and maintain where you're already strong, maintain that, and, and really address, especially, especially address the areas where you know you're well behind those teams, like corner, safety recruiting, linebacker recruiting, and, of course, quarterback recruiting and development. All right, so uh, Dylan, current ND defense, do you mind if we talk about this more on the Friday mailbag? I want to try to keep this more to recruiting right now. Uh, that's a really good question, and I want to spend some time on it. So so do me a favor and, and bring that up again on Friday if you could. I'd really appreciate that. I believe that. Oh, here we go. Oh, uh, no, that's it. So that is it for, no, actually, I'm sorry. It's, it just uploaded. So we got some more questions here. These are some team questions. D-Rock Irish, we'll have, an, we'll have a podcast on Friday. If you could uh, bring that up on Friday, uh, that role about Sebo Flemister and the role he'll have this year, I think that's an interesting one, especially when you consider the two freshmen coming in and are they maybe could they end up being better at that role? Does he have the body for that role? Those kind of things would be um, – would be very interesting. So uh, I'd I'd like to talk about that. I think that's a good question, but we're gonna we're just gonna kind of stick to that right now. Jordan asks, Jordan Perez asks, do you have the choice of Bradshaw and Morris? Who would you pick for the slot? So for the slot, I'd pick I'd pick Bradshaw. And, and that's why I compare Morris a lot to TJ Jones, because TJ played the slot some at Notre Dame. But I felt TJ would develop to a really good outside receiver at that X position. And I think that that route runner, he can do stuff after the catch, but a real good route runner, good ball skills, enough length that he can stretch the field, enough speed to stretch the field. I thought that's where, that's where to me, TJ was at his best. He could play the slot, but he was at his best outside. And that's how I feel about Tyler Morris. He can play the slot, but I think he's at his best outside because he can do stuff after the catch, but he's not the kind of dynamic playmaker that I prefer in the slot. Now, you could mix things up and you could change yourself schematically and formationally to put more of a dynamic make-you-miss guy outside if you and, and change up who you have in the slot. You could do that. There's things you could do for that from a tight end standpoint, the route combinations you use. So you can always adapt your personnel, but from a slot standpoint, I'd take Bradshaw. And to me, Bradshaw ranks higher than Morris overall, but, uh, but Morris is a really savvy just a good football player, and that's what I like about him. And he's playing some defense this year as well. Um, 
Uh, Billy Johnson asks, do you see the offense to start doing anything close to the defense in re recruiting? Billy, the interesting thing is that it, for a couple years there, I felt that the offense was carrying the program from a recruiting standpoint. Like 2018 was pretty balanced class. 2019's defensive class was interesting, to say the least. You had Kyle Hamilton, who was great. You had a deep linebacker class, but there's a lot of kind of projecty kind of players in there. Defensive line wise, you know, I I loved Isaiah Foskey. You know, Nana was a highly ranked player. Hunter Spears, that was a pretty good defensive class. It hasn't panned out, but it, from a high school standpoint, it was pretty good. But there's a lot of projecty type of players, and more projecty than would what I would consider the current group of ends. I, I don't think those guys are projects. I think those are guys who just are going to need some time to develop their bodies. That's not a project to me, uh, per se. You know, it's not like a Joe Walt if he's unless he's is legit three hundred pounds. But like you know, when Notre Dame got Joe Walt, he was like 240, 250 pounds. That's a project to me because they're just it's not just you know adding ten or fifteen pounds or a guy that just has no idea how to play football. Those kind of things. So uh, that was it was lower floor guys. 2020 defensive recruiting was not great, in my opinion. Um, they've got some players here and there, but they kept they, the the cornerback recruiting was disappointing. And then when Landon Bartleson got his scholarship revoked for when he got arrested, I think that really hurt him. You completely struck out at linebacker and safety recruiting in that those two classes. And so, in a lot of ways, Notre Dame this year was still living off of the recruiting that had been done by Mike Elko and and even to a degree the previous staff if you think about it. I mean, you know, Mike Elko comes in and they get Jeremiah Usu Koromoa. You know, Nick McLeod was a grad transfer. Myron Tung, I mean, your whole starting defensive line were either 217 or previous guys. You know, some of your depth players were Kyle Hamilton and Clarence Lewis were part of that. Sean Crawford's a starter. He was from an earlier class. So we haven't seen a ton from the the last couple of defensive classes, and we're not going to see anything from the 2020 linebacker class because there isn't anybody. We're not going to see anything from the 2020 safety class because there isn't anybody. During that same time, Notre Dame on the offensive side of the ball was really ramping up. 2020, they get Drew Pine. They got Chris Tyree. They got Jordan Johnson. They got Xavier Watts. They got Michael Mayer. They got Tosh Baker. They got Michael Carmody. They got Kevin Bauman. Uh, I mean, that was a that was an outstanding offensive class. And they came up short numbers-wise on the offensive line, but the top two guys they got were really good. There was a lot of big-time players in that class. The 2021 offensive class, you get Tyler Buckner, you get Lorenzo Styles, you get Deion Colsey, you get Kane Barong, Blake Fisher, Rocco Spindler. And, and they recovered, even though they the, the strategy got them in some trouble early on at running back, because it was a deep year at running back, you were still able to get a Logan Diggs and then Audric Estime and still be okay. The offensive line class was real top-heavy, but the, the offensive class was strong. A lot of that, however, again, we've talked about this, was put together by a coach who's no longer here. So we're still learning if they can do that, but the, the margin for error on offensive recruiting is, is actually pretty good. If they come up short this year at receiver, it's going to be disappointing. I'm going to criticize the staff for it. But if they can bounce back in 2023, they're going to be fine because they recruited the position so well in previous years. And, and that's why recruiting every year is so important. There are going to be years, it's just going to happen, where you're, you're going to miss on guys or it's just not a great year at a position nationally. 
And then the guys that are good aren't from your region and are tougher to get. And that's that happens. I mean, Ohio State a couple years ago went through a stretch of a year or two where the running back recruiting was real spotty, and some of the guys they got didn't make it. And then Tony Alford got back going. It's just going to happen that way. And so the, the key is you have to have recruited well before that, and then you have to over, quickly overcome those years and and really load up the next year. So if Notre Dame comes up short at receiver this year and and tight end, for example, then I would say I if, if you make up for in 23, you'll go get Cardinal Tate, go get Jalen Hale, go get some of these 23 guys that, that they're already on that are really talented, and you're going to be fine because you're still going to have Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, uh, you know, players like that, you're still going to be okay. And, and you're still going to actually not going to be okay. You're going to be really good. But you can't have two years of that. And that's the concern of where's the staff at? So, like, Audrey Denson's first year of bad running back recruiting didn't hurt Notre Dame. The second year didn't kill Notre Dame. The third and fourth year really started to hurt. And and that's the thing is you, you can't string those years together. So I actually think the offense had been doing really well for a while. I think what we saw this year offensively was more about scheme and philosophy than it was recruiting issues. And and we're going to find out if I'm right or wrong. It, my belief is going to be exposed as incorrect or I'm going to be proven right by what we see this season at the receiver position, assuming they make the changes I think they're going to make. Because if they make those changes that I think they should make and the receivers don't play well, then I was clearly wrong about the talent of the receiver position. If they make those changes and the receivers step up, then obviously – I'll be right that the talent was always there. You just needed to use it correctly, and guys needed to stay healthy. So that's kind of where I, I, I think we're at. Um, Brian, Dylan asks, does uh, Jordan Mangum prefer to play offense or defense in college? He says he doesn't care. He says he likes playing defense, but here's my concern. Every camp he's gone to that, that I'm aware of, he's played offense. Now, that's either them telling him they want him to play offense or that's just what he ultimately prefers, and that's a concern for me uh, as far as recruiting him. And they have to ask themselves, like, how much do we really want to invest in a kid that that for a safety that we don't think can play there? And the safety board is starting to get very interesting. So I think Jaden's – they may have to have some some real heart-to-hearts with Jaden coming up soon saying, hey, you know, really, where do you want to be? Because there's enough good safeties on the board that they don't necessarily need to take a chance on a guy that, that doesn't have his heart set on playing defense because – you don't have your heart set on playing defense. You're, you're not going to be real good at it. Any silent commit updates? Uh, Brian Dembo asks, any silent commit updates? None. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I would think so. I would. I was thinking at least one of these guys is going to go public already. And that's why I don't like to give names out because then I'd looked really bad. But um, I haven't undone my stories. The stories are still in there. We're just going to see if those guys make decisions soon. And what could be happening, Brian, is the NCAA is, is – leaking more and more and more that they're going to open up visits on June 1st, you could start to see some of these kids that were going to commit say, you know what? I want to hold off and take my visit first. That could happen too. So we'll have to, we'll have to see how, how that goes. Justin Knox. I'm trying to figure this one out. Brian Kelly mentioned in the, 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 who is the answer on offense to recruiting analysts that uh, Chad Bowden serves on defense, which is a great hire. I don't know the answer to that. Brian Kelly made it seem in, in the Saturday press conference that they did have someone doing that for the offense i just don't know who it is yet uh and hopefully we're gonna we're gonna find out so um d rock iris this is a good question for everybody recently subscribed and trying to get used to the schedule of your shows that's a that's a you're gonna have a challenge because we don't always have live shows and i and we're working on right now and i'm gonna kind of end the show with this so the only show that we have live for sure is the friday at one o'clock 
The only other time that you can guarantee we're going to go live is within an hour of a kid committing. Obviously, we have things we have to do. Last, for example, when Darren Agu committed, I had to publish the stories. And then pretty quickly after that, I was going to go on a radio show to talk about them. And then we did the podcast, uh, the live show. We're looking into doing more live shows. I want to create, I'm a creature of habit. I like to be organized when it comes to those things. So we're looking into creating a schedule. I wanted to see how today's show went, to be honest with you, to see how many people are going to be part of it. Because one of the things I'm looking at doing is making a show or two a week around the, the two o'clock hour where we talk recruiting. Uh, Vince and I have talked about possibly doing our podcasts live. And what we would do then is just, we would we would have the podcast like normal that we then put out and we, we release as a podcast. We would have it, um, just as a normal podcast. And then at the end, we would open it up to questions. So, so what we've always done with our recorded podcasts, but then just open it up at the end for questions, or if people want to do super chats, we can pop them in during the show. That's another thing we're considering. And then I'm also looking into doing a nightly film session. So like once a week, like maybe Wednesday night doing a live, uh, film breakdown. So those are things that we're considering. I'd love to hear all of your feedback either in the chat or hit me up on Twitter. Hit me an email at brian at irishbreakdown.com. Respond to this on the YouTube page. There's all types of ways you can come to our, our Facebook page, Irish Break, Breakdown Facebook page. I also contribute a lot. I'm a moderator for the Notre Dame Football News Facebook page, which has like over 22,000 people. That's another cool one. So, so D-Rock, I'm looking into a lot of different things and making these shows more live. If we do that, we will have a very set schedule for the live shows and we'll announce them as we go. So we're not going to be doing a lot of these kind of, I just decided at one o'clock that I wanted to do this live and see how it went. And I purposely kind of did it last second because I feel like if if we're just randomly doing podcasts and they're still getting good attendance and our attendance today has been great compared to our other podcasts. So I'm happy about that. Uh, and it stays consistent for the hour, then we're going to do more of that. Because what I'd like to do is more live shows and less two hour long live shows. I love the two hour long live shows. You all know I could talk for hours. Talking is not a problem for me. Uh, not talking is when I get into trouble. Uh, but I also know that it can be difficult for people to stay locked in for two hours. I'm amazed that our numbers are that high, but I, I think it might be better for us if we just did more, more live podcasts that were more sp specific to certain topics as opposed to, which I then think would, would get into maybe we have less questions on the Friday live podcast, the live mailbag, which would then get those into maybe like an hour, hour and a half. There'd be less to cover because we did those other things. So that's where I'm at with that. I'm still kicking it around. I'm still kicking the schedule around, uh, reaching out to people for their feedback, people that I know listen. And I would love to hear from all of you that, that listen. Are those things you would do? Would you like to see more podcasts? Are you kind of comfortable with the one or two a week? What do you guys want? Because ultimately, that's what we're doing it for, right? We're doing it for y'all. We're doing it to to make sure you guys are getting um, what what you need to know and, and and your answers and your questions and all those types of different things. That's what we want to know. Um, so uh, yeah, so hey, Notre Dame two six one four. Could you ask me this um, on Friday? I think it's a great question. I want to address that. I was I was happy to hear Coach Kelly say that because that's something I've been kind of talking about recently. So. Um, Connor, thanks, Coach. Hey, appreciate uh, you've been in every show, man. I really appreciate you being a part of it. Um, Chili two one seven seven seven. Keep it IB. Love the realness. I, that's what you're always going to get from me. I mean, I'll be right, I'll be wrong sometimes, but you're always going to get my honest opinion. And there's no, 
sure coding and there's no kissing up and there's none of that stuff. We're going to be honest. And when things are good, you, you know, that, that, that we mean it. So, um, mingle the poets kind of answer this at the end. How did I get into covering sports? Honestly, I got out of coaching football in 2005 and some of you are going to laugh at this. I actually got, went to seminary and I was going to try to get into campus ministry, but I really missed the game. And so I got an opportunity to just write. I was a part of a, a website back then. And I was asked to do a film evaluation for the 2007 recruiting class. Cause I mean, I, I like to talk and get on the message boards and give my opinion and that kind of stuff. And they said, I'll pay you to do it. And he did it. And then it was, Hey, can you, can you start doing, you know, some film breakdowns, started doing film breakdowns. And then that led to, Hey, can you do play-by-play breakdowns? So I was doing like these play-by-play, play-by-play, play-by-play breakdowns of Notre Dame games back in like 08 and 09, where I'd like go through every play, every position, talk about technique, all these types of things. And it, I mean, if you printed it off on a word document, it'd be like 30 pages long. And then eventually I was uh, really a final project away from getting my my master's at from Denver Seminary and got offered an opportunity to cover the team. My wife and I talked about it, prayed a lot about it and decided to take the job. And so 2010 is when I first got into it. So I don't, I mean, I've always loved sports. I've always talked sports, but it really was just about missing football when I got out of coaching. You know, it was hard to just kind of quit at cold turkey. And I still wanted to be involved in sports somehow and that gave me my avenue. And eventually it, it led to me getting a full-time opportunities, which then led to other opportunities, which then led to me being able to start my own site, which has been exciting. So that's kind of how I got into it. So, so yeah, Justin asked me this question on Friday, because I would say the answer is, is it debatable? Yes. Uh, I do think it's debatable. And I think we can have a fun debate because there are some very good players in those positions coming back. But I do think at least one of those players is the best player to, in the country's position. And both of them have a shot. So we will talk about that on uh on Friday. So yes, D rock Irish hit the like button, everyone before exiting. I appreciate that. Obviously that's good for us. That helps us. Uh, we appreciate y'all being a part of what we're doing here at Irish breakdown. Uh, we're hoping to expand things. I'm, I'm trying to get a national writer on the show this week. I think it's going to work out and he and I are going to give sort of dueling proposals on the right way to expand the playoff in the, the postseason. So we're looking to do that. Um, and of course, the more attention that we get, the more people that we have on the show, the more you share it, subscribe to our channel, hit the notification bell. If you're listening on podcasts, make sure you subscribe on whatever format you use. And, and as always, please check out the website. And by by taking on all those different products is how we can continue to try to do our best to make the majority of what we do, if not all of it, free. And so we, we want to make sure that when we're putting out a unique product that people like and support, and then there are ways that we can still pay the mortgage and pay the rent and do those kind of things without having to charge a lot of money for you to be a monthly member. Doesn't mean we won't have some premium functions. We're hoping to have some premium functions coming up here very soon, but the vast majority of our content is is, is going to be free and I want to make sure we keep it that way, but it's harder to do that without the support. But so far we've gotten so much support from y'all that I haven't even really dove into to thinking about doing those types of things. So Appreciate that for support, but we need you to continue doing it. If you have other Notre Dame friends and they don't know about our show, share it. Let them know. Tell them to join. Um, we will always, always welcome more and more Notre Dame fans into our community. So everybody have a great rest of your day. We will be back again here very soon with more talking Notre Dame football. We're going to talk about, yeah, I like my wife designed this logo, by the way. Uh, we're still working on uh, the merch stores. It's a little harder than I thought it was going to be trying to figure that out. But um, uh, we, uh, we got a lot planned this week. We're going to talk about spring ball. 
We're going to talk a lot about recruiting. There's a lot going on in recruiting. I'm going to hope to have Eric Rudder on here soon so we can wrap up the Under Armour game uh, and start looking forward to sort of the end of spring and then projecting into the summer are the things that we're looking at doing. So everybody, thanks for being with us today. Have a great, safe rest of your day, and we will talk to you all again very, very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.